I'm your host Rashad Richard, gonna be with you. We have a lot of news to cover today. Breaking down news of the day, we got the big homie Jackson White, co-founder, editor-in-chief of Politoscope, TYT Rebel HQ creator. And in my debate segment, the bullpen, Travis Nix is back, associate contributor for Young Voices. We're gonna talk about the retiring of Justice Breyer. That should be fascinating. Top story of the day. Young black father was killed during a custody exchange outside of the police station. Let me give you some background to this story. According to WTVR, a 33 year old father, Stuart D. Jeffries was gunned down by his ex wife's new boyfriend last week. This was at a Virginia police station. Jeffries, let's put his picture up. Mr. Jeffries, who had gone to drop off his eight year old daughter was killed in front of her in the parking lot during the custody exchange. The Chesterfield Police Department confirmed that Jeffries was shot Sunday evening in the parking lot of the Appomattox Police Station. 2920 West 100 Road. The incident took place at around 6.30 PM last week on January 16th. Jeffries was dropping his daughter off after spending the weekend with her. That's according to the statement from the police department. Now bring this to your attention for a very specific reason. We'll get into that in a minute. A family member of Jeffries posted about this senseless shooting on Facebook and said, and I quote, cuz was shot and killed trying to be a good father. There are so many unnecessary killings going on in our community. We have so many so-called wannabe gangsters that would kill someone over stupid mess. Everyone is walking around with a gun trying to prove they ain't solved. I myself was guilty of this stupidity. Killing someone doesn't make you a man, but walking away does. The killer has been identified as a 44 year old man named Corey D. Goodson Sr. Goodson was arrested at the scene. He has been charged with second degree murder and the use of a firearm in the commission of a felony. Two parties met to complete a child custody exchange. This was in the parking lot at the station. It was confirmed by Chesterfield police in an email. At the time of the exchange, there was an on duty officer working his patrol vehicle in the station parking lot. The officer was facing away where the custody exchange was occurring, okay? So let me break it down this way. There's an eight year old daughter, an eight year old child who has seen her father killed in front of her. The father did the very responsible thing and made sure the exchange took place at a police station for protection in case anything went bad. Things went as bad as they could go, okay? This story is still developing, but here's what has to happen. Naturally, the man who did this, the monster who did this has been arrested, he's in jail. He will likely never get out. 
But there's an eight year old daughter, there's a child who no longer has a biological father. But it speaks to a larger dynamic. The larger dynamic is me and you, us doing what we have to do in order to be examples and to mentor others around us. You know, I hear people say all the time, and I looked at the social media post around this story, what people are saying, this generation is lost. These young people are lost. These people are lost. Think about this, anytime you say a generation is lost, you are indicting yourself. If I say my cell phone is lost or my keys are lost, my cell phone didn't lose itself. My keys did not lose itself, I lost them. So anytime we talk about a lost generation, we're the ones who lost them. That means that we are at least in some way indicting ourselves in that statement. And I'm fine with the indictment because we all need to do more. So allow this story as tragic as it is, as heartbreaking as the reality of this story is, allow it to be a catalyst to motivate you to do more, to be more active, to be more aware, to provide guidance and mentorship to those who need it around you. You know, Dr. King said it perfectly. Everybody can be great because everybody can serve. Jackson, what are your thoughts on this story? I think that that's a really, really great, great you know, way to look at this story. And you know, everybody can relate. You know, as I'm, we talked a little bit about this. I'm about to turn 30, and now as I enter, you know, kind of this real stage of my manhood and adulthood, I've had enough experience to really understand the importance of what it means to, you know, stabilize a community, give to a community. You know, the things that people miss growing up. You start to understand the impacts when you were just a kid. You know, you get caught up in a lot of things, just looking for acceptance, just trying to make sense out of life. But, you know, as you get older, you start to see the importance of really, really giving back to communities where people may not even have the chance to make it to see 30, 40. As this young man, you know, who was only a couple years older than me, lost his life yeah. just trying to make an exchange. And a lot of that just goes back to the everyday lifestyles that people have to live. And so, you know, as people like ourselves get to break out and, you know, someone like you who gets honored and respected by people across the board for the work that you do is a great inspiration for people to do the same because, you know, a lot of people, you know, people like to think that they're so self-made and they mm -hmm. made it out of the struggle. But when you really look at things, they probably had, you know, some good leadership somewhere. If it wasn't directly right. in the house, they had some type of leadership. They had somebody they could lean on when things really, really got bad enough. And that's really ultimately what makes the difference. And that's what we can be for each other and for people in these communities who don't have a way out like we did. So, so well said, brother. I had to challenge someone on my radio show who tried to use my life as an example of, well, if you can do it, anyone can do it. Well, I benefited from three primary things that have to be highlighted. Number one, I benefited from a progressive policy. Number two, I benefited from that progressive policy allowing me to seek higher education. And number three, I benefited from mentorship inside of a faith-based community. Those three elements changed my life. Because of those three things, I fight for those for the for the sake of others who are in situations similar to the situation that I was in as a teenager. So no, you cannot do this by yourself. It takes mentorship, it takes guidance, and it also takes good policy in combination with that.
Let's talk about policy setters, the US Supreme Court. We got a retirement happening. Remember what Joe Biden said, the President of the United States, when he was campaigning, he said, I'm going to nominate a black woman to the United States Supreme Court. Here it is. Number one, I committed that if I'm elected president, have an opportunity to appoint someone to the courts, will be I'll appoint the first black woman to the courts. It's required that they have representation now, it's long overdue. Joe Biden is 100% accurate, he's right, morally, politically, professionally, judicially, all of that is correct. Uh, you have uh, Je- uh, Justice Stephen Breyer who is now going to retire. Uh, technically based on the rules of the Senate, this can take place before the retirement happens. We shall see what Schumer does, all right? Uh, but here's the rhetoric already being spewed by those on the right. Yeah, it doesn't change the ideological makeup, but we know that what Joe Biden does best is placate to the radical element and the radical progressive base of his party that he believes is the majority. I believe he's incorrect in that. I believe that they're actually the minority, but I'm wondering the kind of justice that he would nominate. Now, again, I'm sure it will be, as Guy said, a black woman. You know, he's got a dedication to that. We saw how well that worked out with Kamala Harris, but here's to hoping that he has a better choice in mind for this position. You know she doesn't give a damn about Kamala Harris, the leadership of the vice president. And I have my issues with their policy. It doesn't have anything to do with the fact that she's a black woman. I'm not blaming her being a black woman as the reason why I'm against some of the policies of the administration. But literally you have just heard a conservative commentator say basically that the idea, the very notion of selecting a black woman to the US Supreme Court is radical. That's the message she wants you to buy. That's the message they're going to continue to permeate as this process moves forward. Now, the White House, they did confirm that President Biden is going to double down on what he said during the campaign. Here it is. Does President Biden plan to honor his pledge to nominate a black woman to the court? Well, I've commented on this previously. The president has stated and reiterated his commitment to nominating a black woman to the Supreme Court and certainly stands by that. All right, Jackson, what are your thoughts on this? Well, I think, you know, obviously the irony is they have Clarence Thomas. And then, you know, not only that, but, um, you know, just the way that they always sell that rhetoric. You know, he wants her in the office just because he believes the radical progressive base wants to see that. But I believe that's not the case when that obviously doesn't reflect the data in polling and what people prefer policy wise. But you're absolutely right. You know, just the thought and the idea of putting a black woman in this seat, it means nothing. So why do it whatsoever? You know, we might as well just keep the show rolling, put somebody else in there. Because if we put someone who isn't white, then you're showboating. So mm-hmm. basically, any move that way is something that they can stick it to the liberals with. So you're damned if you do, and you're damned if you don't. Because yeah. obviously, if he didn't put a black woman in there, then they would say, You said you wanted to put a black woman in there. So yeah, you know, he, he has to do it. Uh, that's yeah. actually one of the promises during the campaign that I said, you know what? I actually believe Joe's going to do that. I think if Joe Biden has the opportunity, he will nominate a black woman to the US Supreme Court. And let me say this about the element of blackness. 
because there's some pushing back on social media saying, well, it shouldn't matter what color they are, they're qualifying, right? That's the whole pushback. Well, let me be very clear. Being black in America is not a race. As a matter of fact, white is not a race, brown is not a race. We say that race is a category. Race is a way to categorize, let me put it that way. What blackness is, is an experience. Is it an, it's an experience deeply rooted in the social expression of what we believe socialism in the United States of America to be, especially as it relates to race. So we socialize these assumptions about each other on a regular basis. What does it do? It creates a unique set of three E's, experiences, exposures, and environments. It shouldn't be that way. In an ideal world, that's not the case. We don't live in an ideal world, we live in the real world. So when we talk about a woman of color, a black woman in particular, we understand that a black woman has a unique set of experiences, exposures, and environments. A diversity matrix she brings to the bench that currently has no representation from that background. So that's why it's important we have diversity in our ranks, especially our powerful judicial and political institutions. This should be a reflection of American right now, the bench does not represent it fully. Okay, um, apparent, yep, apparent says the N word at school board meeting defending her son saying the N word, here it is. She's the president of RESA. Anyhow, I met with her years ago when I was chairing the diversity committee at, at Monteith. So her discussion was that as a, as a young black man, a boy, when you walk out of the house, you have to know. First things foremost, you're, you're a young black boy. Well, you know what? I have two young white boys. One of which got in trouble for saying the N-word on Snapchat, which his chocolate, dark chocolate aunt, auntie got him into straight out of Compton, okay? So my boy got straight out of Compton, he's into it, all the old school hip hop can do blues riffs like crazy. And it says in parody on Snapchat, which essentially got him kicked out of South for four to 10 days. I mean, he, he went hunting, came back completely followed by the black boys. I have the Snapchats, my address was put out there. We were threatened and why? Because he said I'm sorry, this happens to be in every song. Yeah, she went there. Now remember she's defending her son who uses the N word and she used to be a member of the diversity and inclusion committee. And they listen to hip hop, what's the problem? Big problem, all right? Let me just say this for the record, to all of my white brothers and sisters, to all of my white allies, I know you get it. So I'm not talking to you, I'm talking to the ones who don't. If you're white, don't use it. Don't moralize against rap songs, no. This is one of those things, is it hypocritical? Maybe to you, but the argument that I have heard from primarily conservative white bigots is this. Well, why can't I use the word? Well, go ahead and use it, say it. <laughs> if it makes you feel good, say it, say it for the world to hear so that we can know exactly what's in your heart. This woman said it, all right? Obviously there is blowback and it should have been. Uh, once again, she doubled down on her statement. This was in Gross Point. 
Uh, her name is Angela. Angela wrote, and I quote, this was after it happened. She wrote, are you really that offended by a word? They was not used towards someone, that's how she said it, okay? This is in almost all current hip hop. And you think kids don't use it, get a life. Now, I wanna remind you of a few things here. This particular parent was in an official school board meeting. That school board meeting, they have decency rules as far as language. She did violate those rules. She presented a defense for her son using that same word, so she decided to use it as well. And she went hard ER at the end. Never go hard ER, but she did. All right, Jackson. Well, you know, I think her overall approach just was really immature. And because, especially just like you said, her being in some type of a diversity organization, but also, you know, there was no ownership of a mistake. There was no ownership of error for it. You know, it was just all scapegoating to what culture may be. But the fact is that, you know, he kind of went viral for saying that. So there was no, you know, disciplinary attitude towards, yeah, you, 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 he shouldn't have said that. He shouldn't have said that. Um, and, you know, so, and then just doubling down on it so publicly, you know, again, it's like, yeah, people do say it, but if they do, they typically do it in private and among themselves. So for you to make it public and then make a big deal out of it, again, it's just very immature and yeah. just showing her lack of class. Right, and no one said it in that school board meeting but her. Right. She brought it out to the forefront. She wanted to say it out loud. And sometimes there are people, especially bigots, they just want to see if they can get away with saying it without penalty. And if there is a penalty, they say, "Oh, wait a minute, black people say it. Now she didn't say it like that, she just said it in another way. Well, it's in rap songs, it's in hip hop. That was her way of saying, well, black people say it, right? So no one was saying it in that professional environment. You're right, it was terribly immature. The woman then described herself as an inner city person. Let's put that up, as an inner city person who intentionally put her boy in very primarily all black dance classes, <laughs> sales school. Uh, you name it, I'm into all of those things. Well, she's also into saying the N word, obviously. Uh, she has had past social media posts of her being anti, you guessed it, vaccine and anti mask for children. We got a bona fide Trump supporter. Is that a surprise to anybody? All right, we got more on the other side. It's indisputable. Stick and stay. Ladies and gentlemen, I wish you Karen would. You want to call the police on them for having a barbecue on a Sunday? I feel free. Back off. I'm going to tell them there's an African American man threatening my life. Okay, keep the thumbs up, 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 keep the thumb
Who did? She grabbed our kid. Who did? I understand it, okay, but we can't have people keep getting aggressive. I'll deal with it. Where's she at? I don't know where she went. He said, I understand that, but we can't we can't have people being aggressive, talking to the black family outraged because a white a white audience member not participating in the sport itself committed assault against their black child. Now, obviously, people are going to be aggressive, parents in particular, when they see something like that happening. Now, the Karen in this story apologized profusely. I am so sorry. I, I'm so sorry that I physically assaulted your child. But I want you to see when you go back and look at that video, the black parents were outraged, right? And rightfully so. But the response of those around was to somehow blame the black parents for being upset that their child had been physically assaulted. Let's be clear, the woman who did this is very lucky that she escaped physical injury herself. It's called in defense of others or in defense of a minor. You can use physical force to defend a minor and defend other people. That did not happen, she's lucky. But the way the authority present responded is typical to the hand in glove of how things like this typically happen. Now, luckily we got everything on video, all right? Jackson, what are your thoughts with this? Well, my first thought is that she, you know, she shouldn't have her son in combat sports if uh, right. you know she's that worried about his safety, especially them being that little and that lightweight. You know, there's really not much. There's not there's much less risk of any type of real damage, and the refs right there. You know what I mean? So everything really was in control. It was completely unnecessary. But also, you know, like you were saying, that just feeds into the culture of. You know, you have to think people who aren't in black communities, you know, Latinos and in, in black communities are very tightly intertwined. But outside of that, people's perception of the black community is just what they see in movies and music videos and television and news that they see about athletes and rappers and stuff like that. So, you know, that feeds into oh, they're dangerous, they're always about trouble, they're the ones who fight, you know, so the whole culture. And everyone's perception, that's why. So, yeah. Very well said. And sometimes individuals have a tendency of summarizing blackness or the black experience by highlighting one genre of black culture. So they will say, well, you know, it's in rap songs. So obviously, all black people think this way, right? Well, no, <laughs> that's not how it works because black folks are not monolithic, just like. Other races, no, there's no monolithic thought in any race in the United States or beyond. Okay, um, you know, I learned something new. 
So obviously, according to Joe Rogan's friend, Dr. Michael Eric Dyson is actually not black. Well, news to me and news to Dr. Dyson. Here's the clip, Jordan Peterson says it in his own words, here it is. Depending on who you ask, either you're a voice of reason and rationality and and uh, you know uh, personal responsibility, or you're a voice of intolerance and bigotry and anger and hateful sexual uh, oppression. What did Michael prejudice. Eric Dyson call you uh, an, a mean, mean angry an, white mean, man? Yeah, and and a mean angry white man. Yeah. Hilarious. Yeah, yeah. You're not mean at all. Yeah, yeah. That's what's dumb about that statement. It's you're not mean at all. It's I uh, am white. Actually, that's a lie too. <laughs> I'm kind of tan. And he was actually not black. If you're he was because I'm I'm darker than you. Yeah, yeah, that's ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, but neither of us are white. Well, I'm Italian, and mostly. he was brown, not black. Well, isn't that weird? Yeah, it's this, really the, weird. The black and white thing is so strange yeah, because like the shades are so tan and brown. There's such a spectrum of shades of people. Unless you're talking to someone who is like. 100% African from the darkest place where they're not wearing any clothes all day and they've developed all that melanin to protect themselves from the sun. You know, it's even the term black is weird. It's a, it's a, and when you use it for people that are literally my color, it becomes very strange. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, mm hmm. Not stranger than two white privileged men debating on who should be black or not. <laughs> not more ironic than that, I promise you. Well, Dr. Dyson, a scholar and a gentleman, responded. He was on Don Lemon's show, here it is. You know, uh, you would hope they were joking because if they weren't, this uh, exposes the vast lethal ignorance at the heart of so much whiteness, whether intentional or not. Um, we all know that black is not a phenotypical reality. We're not talking about a genetic predisposition toward darker skin. We're speaking about an existential context. We're talking about a philosophical idea. We're speaking about rooted cultures in deep histories that have vast traditions that have generated complicated identities. And we know that blackness in terms of its identity ranges from vanilla vitality to chocolate charm and all all ranges in between. So it's not about shade. It's not about um, a kind of inherited characteristic of race. Race is as we've been arguing in school and I would advise Dr. Peterson and brother Rogan to take a class. When we talk about race as a social construct, what we're saying is it's not about a biological determinism. It's about an inherited set of beliefs that depend upon a society to imbue it with meaning. And therefore, it's not simply about who you are, your skin color, your hair, your shade and tone. Now, while they unsuccessfully challenged my blackness, they damn sure proved their whiteness. Indifferent to history, oblivious to truth and indifferent to reality. You know, when somebody breaks it down from the rooter to the tutor, it's not much more you can say. I guarantee you Joe Rogan won't be inviting Dr. Dyson on his program. He would never allow the opportunity to be upstaged in such a manner. He will continue to invite his very misguided, I know I'm being nice, but very misguided friends 
to continue to talk about who's black and who's not. Jackson, what are your thoughts on Dr. Dyson? Yeah, well, you know, obviously he very eloquently stated everything that needed to be said. But, you know, my overall thoughts on Jordan Peterson, other than obviously him being very white, is, you know, like generally he's just a guy with self help that actually can be rather beneficial to people who are just looking to improve themselves. But like Michael Dyson said, you know, this conversation really exposed it's just two white guys thinking way too hard about things. And this is actually pretty common, you know, it's not just mm, them. You yeah. come across people who think like this all the time. And especially someone like myself, who's very light skinned. You know what I'm saying? Like there's a lot of people who, you know, like, you know, will say I'm not black or you think you're black and you know, stuff like that, which, you know, don't mean nothing to me, but just a general reflection of not really understanding what it means. You know what I'm saying? And for other people who do, like they just know what's up. You know what I'm saying? So like, they're just two white guys being white. You know what I mean? Yeah, very white. Okay, yeah. we got more on the other side. Is indisputable, stick and stay. There's a woman, she was able to record her colleagues being racist against her. Um, Black IT graduate has quit working at Legal and General Showpiece HQ in London after a tape recording of two of her colleagues was exposed. The colleagues were saying racist things. Let's put up a picture again. All right. Janika Frimpong says she accidentally left her phone on her desk while it was recording. She later discovered it had recorded a racist conversation between her colleagues who said things like black people have a smell about them. And you know black girls, they don't wash their hair. Here's the recording. Do you feel like, don't want to be rude, but she has a smell about her. Like a fried oil smell. You know, the fact that this was caught on recording in this one situation means that basically every time she leaves their presence, <clears throat> they're talking about her. Okay. I mean, it would be a hell of a coincidence if this was just the one time they had ever talked about her, it was during this incident. No, no, they, this was their routine. Um, Friend Pong says she became drained and unhappy. Working there, and at times, um, I would have panic attacks from the sheer hurt, according to the mirror. She left her job January 10th. The company tweeted a response. 
We are upset and saddened to hear about your experience. The allegations are appalling and not reflective of us or our culture. We have an internal investigation underway to identify all individuals concerned and we will do all we can to make sure this doesn't happen again. No word if the employees have been disciplined. And here's the thing, no, you know, I don't think your internal investigation needs to go too far. She knows who did it. So just ask her, who said it? Where did you leave your phone? Whose office is it next to? Real simple. Jackson, thoughts? Yeah, exactly. From a company a disciplinary standpoint, all they got to do is ask who did it and, and fire the people who did it. To set an example. And, you know, this really just reflects that, you know, the women who were having the conversation really don't know very many black people or didn't grow up around very many people within the culture. Because you know, not everybody has their hair the same way. Not everybody wears the same products. And just people in general, if you smell a certain way, it's just because you smell a certain way. You know what I'm saying? Like she don't like she ain't never been around. You know, any white boys or white dudes or whatever people who maybe they haven't showered in a few days. You know what I'm saying? Like it's not like it. People are people. You know, so it's yeah. just again, it's just a childish conversation. Well, know. in that conversation, what you find and you find this routine with bigots who are unaware that they are bigots. We call it implicit bias. Everything that they perceive as negative, they will attribute it to your blackness. So they will say things like black people this, black people that, right? Mm-hmm. Not realizing that in that you are now attributing to what you determine to be a negative to the black race of the individual or the black race in general. And that's exactly what they did in this conversation, showing that their implicit bias is front and center. There's a difference between hyperaggression bias and implicit bias, but the product is the same discriminatory practices in the workplace and beyond. This is an update. Remember the cop who was about to violate the rights of an arrested citizen? And a good cop stepped in, grabbed him, and then the bad cop decided to choke. The good cop, the good cop is a female employee, the bad cop is this veteran sergeant, all right? Well, guess what? The police union got involved and do you think they're taking the side of the good cop or the bad cop? Both of them are cops, right? Let's put up the graphic of when Sergeant Christopher Police choked his fellow officer. This is a veteran police sergeant. This sergeant has been placed on administrative leave, is now under criminal investigation. Sergeant police, I'm gonna give you the background to what happened and the update. This sergeant armed with mace was trying to mace a suspect already handcuffed, already inside of the police cruiser. This is what happened, this is how it went down. When the female officer saw this, she grabbed the belt of the sergeant and removed the sergeant from the suspect. She has a duty to do that, by the way, because in their state, last year, they passed a law called duty to intervene. Which means when you see something that a cop is doing or about to do that is criminal, 
you will be charged with the crime if you don't stop it. So she has a duty to intervene, she intervened, okay? Uh, let's show the picture of her grabbing the belt. Let's have the picture up again, all right? So she grabbed the belt, she does this, way to go, hero cop, right? Good person, way to go, young cop doing what she has to do and is a superior at that. Pepper spray still in one hand, police grabs the female officer by the throat. Then moving his hand to her shoulder, he pushes her against a patrol car. That's what he did, okay? This is violent, this is a violent attack. There were officers watching this. Did any of them defend their fellow officer? No. Did any of them even stand up and say, Sarge, you gotta stop Sarge? No. Did they flinch? No. They would have allowed that sergeant to go ham on this woman, knowing that she probably just saved all of them from getting a damn charge. You gotta think about what her actions have done. This was being recorded. The fact that she intervened has likely stopped the attorney general and the local DA from charging all of the cops who refused to intervene. See how that works? She saved all of them. Story gets deeper. During a Sunrise City Commission meeting on Tuesday, the president of the local Fraternal Order of Police took issue with the recent comments by Police Chief Anthony Rosa, who called the sergeant's actions disgusting in an interview with Miami's Channel 7 News. So literally the police chief says, Here's what happened, good cop grabbed a bad cop, the bad cop was wrong. The sergeant's actions were disgusting, I'm proud of this good cop. I'm paraphrasing, but that's basically what the police chief said. And then the head of the police union comes in, put his picture up again. And he decides to go after the chief and the officer who followed the law. It's not about Chief Rose's exclusive interview. With Channel 7 is more about the investigation itself. That's what the president of the Fraternal Order of Police said, Stephen Negron. He's in a way our only juror, this president of the local union said, calling for Chief Rosa to be removed from the investigation. All of a sudden, they don't want an internal investigation. I thought unions, police unions liked internal investigations. Now, what do you see? They only like them when they're going in the direction they're pushing. Here's the other part. This is the police union. Why are they not standing up for the officer who was attacked? You have to ask yourself this question. Are they really for police or are they for a particular behavior in policing? Because I see two cops. I see a clear good cop and a clear bad cop. The police union, they decided to take the side of the bad cop. And they're going after the good cops who are standing up to the culture of corruption there. You have your juror stating that the subject person did certain things inappropriate, disgusting, wrong. And in any trial, if you heard that from a juror, you would recuse him immediately. Well, the police chief is not a jury member. The police chief is the police chief and well within his authority to say what a thing is. We need more people like him. So the commissioners rejected this request from the 
union chief, noting that the chief was also being criticized for not acting swiftly enough. Sunrise Mayor, Mayor Michael Ryan even compared the case to the George Floyd murder. When it seemed like a civil discussion was being uh, beginning to wrap up, tension started to spiral out of control. Now, I don't have the audio, but I have the transcript. Let's put up this first person. All right, this is Commissioner Joseph Squaddle made comments defending the sergeant who attacked the officer, saying the case had been spawned in a way that's so ridiculous. This commissioner also reportedly called the suspect that was arrested a piece of mm. That's what he said, the suspect is a piece of And the case has nothing to do with George Floyd. Well, another commissioner spoke up, let's put his picture up. This brother spoke up, Commissioner Mark Douglas, who is black, responded by asking the former commissioner that spoke if he was blaming the incident on the suspect. I'm sure George Floyd was a piece of ish who caused it too, Douglas said sarcastically. What are you defending? Shut up, Joey. <laughs> the brother told him to shut up. All right, good for him. Don't tell me to shut up, the commissioner responded. Let's put his picture back. Don't tell me to shut up. I'm telling you to shut up, Douglas said. What are you going to do? Uh, he responded, don't tell me to shut up. What do you think you are? Who do you think you are, tough guy? According to Channel 7, the commission quickly took recess after trial. Uh, after that um, back and forth. And uh, you know, the internal investigation is still happening. <laughs> <laughs> so. <laughs> So they got into it. I really wish I could, you know, play the audio. We don't have the audio, but we got the transcript. They were close enough to come to blows. They did not. They did keep telling each other to shut the hell up. All right, Jackson, thoughts here? Yeah, well, you know, like you said, they have a reputation. Not their unchallenged authority is now being challenged more and more and more. And so that just general fear of losing that power is what would drive that. You know, we can't allow these laws to inch further and further because if we are held to account, then we'll get held more and more, and more to account. But also, you know, just from a professional perspective, this 28-year-old woman is young, and this is going to shape her her experience and just her psychological standing of the job and how, what she's going to have to deal with. And two, from the other perspective, from the other side, my man, like this grown man who just like, ah, like, I can't control myself when I'm angry. Like, well, then maybe, you know, clearly then you shouldn't be doing what you're doing. But it's like, a no, I can't think of any circumstance where I would just lose control. Like, oh, I just, I just couldn't help myself. I had to put my hands around her throat and slam her against the car. I just, I'm so sorry. Like, you know, this guy's dangerous and yeah. And you're defending yeah. him. I tell police officers all the time, don't let their uniform change you. Yeah. Don't let it change you. Under any other circumstance, if those officers did not have on their uniform and they saw a guy like that choking a woman that's basically half the size of the guy, they would have responded. They would have had a natural response to stop it. None of them did. That uniform changes people. Okay. This didn't make much sense to me. This is not going to make much sense to you. Florida Democrats refused to participate in the vote to confirm Joseph Lopato. That made sense. 
They should not confirm this guy. Okay, this is a Governor DeSantis pick for the Surgeon General position in their state. It's a hot mess. Let's just go to the video. We don't feel that we're getting any answers met. And we know that there is a long agenda today with a lot of bills. And so um, the Florida Senate Democrats are in this committee now are going to abstain, walk out, and come back when we have more business to, to, to retend to. We're going to move on to. Okay, there's a reason they did this, and you need to see the reason why they did it. Now, because they represent a small section of that committee, their walkout really doesn't have much consequence. Um, but this is what it was over. Here it is. I believe that vaccines in fighting against a pandemic like COVID-19 are effective. So, again, I would I would say that that the. Um, the question is a scientific one, and it's one that is answered with data. So, um, so the uh, the the question ref- the question is informed by um, data on you know on sp- specific outcomes and specific sp- specific therapies. So that's I, that's the uh, that's the scientific question, Mr. Chair. Uh, just a couple more follow ups Just a yes or no. Do vaccines work in fighting against COVID-19? Yes or no? I, I, as a scientist, you know, I, 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 I am compelled to answer the scientific question. And I'd be happy to answer any specific scientific question that you have uh, related to vaccines and COVID-19. Scientifically, do vaccines, does the, do the vaccines work against preventing COVID-19? Yes or no? You know, it, it, yes or no questions are, are not that uh, that easy to find in science. Um, so I will. I understand. I think I, I have better clarity about your your question at this point. I'm about to fall out my damn chair. <laughs> okay, this man wants this job so damn bad. And he knows good and damn well if he tells the truth, DeSantis will say, oh, no, I withdraw the nomination. Come on, brother. You don't need a paycheck that bad. You're well educated. Let's put let's put up his um education, his picture, education. That's his picture. Uh, Wake Forest degree in chemistry, magnum cum laude, Harvard Medical School, uh, MD, PhD from Harvard University in health policy. The list goes on and on and on. All right. Okay. You mean to tell me? You're a highly educated ass cannot answer a simple question about, hey, do vaccines work? Are they effective? Well, I don't know if they're effective, the science and the data. And then we go to Star Trek and we go to the Starship Enterprise, let's ask them. What? Have you all ever seen in your life a person in a professional interview capacity? For a for a nomination in a high high impact position, interview like that, okay, never. He still is going to get the job. They don't give a damn about his ability to answer simple questions. They don't care as long as as long as he's handpicked by DeSantis. We call that something in my community. I won't say it on television, but he is their guy, okay. And they don't care if he can answer simple questions. What he did in that moment is he proved he's willing to do their bidding, to carry their water. The sad thing is he understands all too well how this virus 
goes through communities, especially communities of color. He knows the misinformation has hurt, in particular, communities that don't have access to the same level of health care as others. Is he going to do anything about it? No. You know why? Put his picture up. Here's why he's not going to do a damn thing about it. Because he only cares how he can benefit in the social structure where whiteness is the measure of power. That's it. As long as he can benefit personally. See what you're looking at right there? That's a bona fide sellout. Bona fide. All right. I tell his mama he'll sell out. Jackson, what are your thoughts on him? You know, all them degrees and you still corny, all them accolades and you still a Come sucker. Come on, man. Ridic- you know what I'm yeah. saying? You still a sucker. And you know, like he's just one of those guys, and you know, we all know him, especially in the you know, I, I in the centers of higher academia, you know, those people are like, oh, I can't make a mistake. I have to have a perfect image or else I'm gonna piss off a lot of white people and then I'm not gonna <laughs> be able to make my place in the world or law. You know what I'm saying? He one of them guys. And he really just looks ridiculous, you know. And again, like you're gonna look back at this and it's like all this for Ron DeSantis, all this for Ron DeSantis. Right. All this for the Republican legacy. Like, what's your job gonna be like? You're gonna get this job and you're just gonna be on eggshells permanently. Yep. And all for what? All for what? You still gonna be a sucker and you still gonna be corny. You know what I'm but saying? I, yep. So Well said, brother. Remember, take care of yourself, take care of each other. Take care of the planet. Remember the truth is always indisputable.